Welcome to Podcasts Into Avernus. I'm Greg Tito, host of Dragon Talk, the official Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Fans of D&D have been clamoring to hear more about Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus ever since we announced it at D&D Live 2019. To celebrate the launch of this adventure, Daniel Kwan from Asians Represent and Victoria Rogers from the Broadswords put together a group of D&D live play podcasts to create seven one-shot stories, each focusing on the characters racing through different planes of the multiverse, eventually bringing Celestials, searching for Lulu the Holyphant, to the first layer of the Nine Hells of Vernus. By listening to all seven episodes of Podcast Into Avernus, you'll get tons of background information on important NPCs in the adventure and maybe find one or two new live play podcasts you might want to follow. To find out more about these groups and Baldur's Gate Descent Into Avernus, available everywhere September 17th, head to dnd.wizards.com slash PIA or check out our live video programming on twitch.tv slash DND. Have fun listening to this first episode of Podcasts Into Avernus, brought to you by North by Northquest and DM'd by David Alvord, starting on the plane of Mechanus. Hello, and welcome to North by Northquest. We are so excited to be here kicking off this Wizards of the Coast Descent Into Avernus podcast event. First, we'd like to give a huge thank you to Victoria, Daniel, Greg Tito, and the Wizards of the Coast team for letting us be a part of this. It is a total honor to be a part of another great event. Every new event is even more exciting than the last one thanks to this amazing D&D community. Second, if you're not familiar with us, we're an Atlanta-based storytelling podcast built upon Dungeons and Dragons, with a rotating cast of GMs and players. If you like what you hear, then add us to your favorite podcasting app for future listening. We can be found online at northbynorthquest.com or at nxnquest on social media. However you found your way here, whichever realm you hail from, or whatever alignment you've chosen, we welcome you to our table. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy episode one of this seven-part adventure. And remember... If you liked it, tell your friends. And if you hated it, tell your enemies. My name is David Alvord. I am the GM for North by North Quest on this episode one of the Descent into Avernus Wizards of the Coast podcast event. I am Tiffany Alvord. I am playing Char. She is a Fire Genasi cleric of the Forge domain. Hi, I'm Dot. Uh, you may know me online as Little Red Dot. I am excited to be playing Rufus. He is a Sun Soul monk. Hi, my name is Alex. Alexa Kakan on the interwebs. I am playing a Warforged envoy named Safeguard, who is also an Oath of the Ancients paladin, and both of our pronouns are they, them. Mechanus, a plane of precision, 
of clockwork, of lawful devotion to the order of nature. The land it's built upon is two giant and mighty cogs, 1,000 miles in diameter, forever rotating in opposing directions. Life thrives in both the upward world and the downward world, a thin air of separation between the cogs often traversed by adventurers and merchants of this world. The Rimward territories are home to the more industrial settlements of Mechanus, with factories in the many Modron territories following the way of Primus. Under the lead of the overseer of the Inevitables, the great Von Neumann himself, Great mechanoid inevitables soldier on upholding the orderly law of nature. As the traveler moves hubward, they approach the towns and cities which make up this world. Suns setting, adding an orangish hue as it glints off the brass gears and metal making up so much of the city infrastructure. Immigrants from other worlds who've moved here live life under the knots and cogs floating in space above, and under the watchful gaze of the Tower of Primus, forever set upon the axis of the great cogs. It is in one of these towns, the mechanoid town of Temperus, which we find our three friends in the middle of their daily routines, unaware of the adventure that awaits. Oh, wants more soap? Oh, um, yeah, that would be great. I will continue to observe, but thank you so much for the offer. Well, of course, what kind of host would I be if I didn't offer you at least a little soup? Oh, 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 maybe you want some tea instead. Well, it is still a consumable liquid, which I will not be able to consume, as I am not a creature that does that, but it is very nice of you to offer. Oh, right, I forgot. I'm mostly not organic. Yes. <laughs> Rufus, this, like, large man, has to, like, sideways shuffle out from behind this, like, tiny little bar in this tiny little tea house that has, like, a single fire in the middle with the tiny teapot uh, that he serves all of his customers from. And I refill Char's glass. What does Rufus look like? Rufus is a very large human. Uh, he's roughly somewhere between about 6'3 and 6'5, closer to the 400-pound scale. He is surprisingly light on his feet, and uh, he is bald with a large beard and has an odd tattoo in the center of his forehead where the third eye is charcoal burned into his skin. He's very humble in his clothing and dress, and his walking stick, a staff with a lantern on the end and a giant hook, sits against the wall. And as this large man, Rufus, pours some tea to Char, what does Char look like? Char is a fire genasi. She's about 5'9", fairly thinly built. Her skin is kind of like an ash gray, like the remains of a fire that just went out. And her hair is very short and spiky and a deep burgundy color. And she's wearing scale mail that's very sort of intricately designed. So she does jingle just like a little as she moves. And she has a hammer on her hip that she kind of adjusts as she gets more comfortable in the chair. And Char sits there contemplating the tea that's being poured by Rufus a couple feet from Safeguard. What does Safeguard look like? So Safeguard is a warforged. Then they are an envoy, so they're not quite as bulky as normal warforged are. They have a kind of, not quite slender, but like just less beefy looking build that is mostly wood and metal mixed together. Uh, they are dressed kind of like a, a druid, like somebody was looking at a bunch of druid wo 
wood elves and then tried to mimic it without actually understanding how clothing really works. So best effort. Um, but they have eyes that are a bright green, like a like they're a gemstones where their eyes should be. And on their forehead, in the same third eye area, they have a sigil that is a flower with antlers growing out of it. And they also have tiny antlers on their head. And it looks like they've had their vines that they're made out of because they're made out of like wood, vines and metal. And it looks like they've managed to grow their vines around their head like honeysuckle in a kind of flower crown. And they are just sitting prim and proper near Char with their hands folded in their lap, looking very pleased to be there. And the three of you are the only ones sitting in Rufus's shop of tea and soup right now. Rufus probably watches uh, Char drink uh, the tea. Uh, it He takes great pride in brewing tea and serving soup at his very quaint establishment. So getting to watch somebody drink it is like a highlight of his day. And she definitely savors and enjoys the tea. So she like takes a sip, kind of closes her eyes, and you can see her visibly kind of relax. Safeguard is also watching this process very intently. <laughs> We're both just watching. <laughs> she, she opens her eyes and looks at Rufus. This is one of the best cups of tea I have had in a very long time. Thank you, Rufus. It is, it's my pleasure. Tea is life. I mean, not really. Light is life. But my father used to say, there's nothing can't be solved with a good cup of tea. Even war? There, well, well, maybe not all wars. But, you know, maybe if they had more tea... What about murder? Yeah, no, more tea is what it all needs, I think. Climate or change? Soup. Soup is good for climate change. I don't know what that is. I, like, whisper to Char. It's when the climate does something different than you're expecting. It changes. A climate? Uh, it's like the weather. When the weather does something different. <laughs> Rufus, being a rather simple man, processes all of this. While Safeguard has now turned to look at whatever tea is visible and is, like, eyeing it very contemplatively. Like, they're thinking about, man, this must be a really powerful liquid if it can solve all these things. <laughs> Rufus is assured of it. Char believes his belief in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Even even the weather. Really, all these things, just we need more time to talk and be kind to one another and, and, and to serve tea and eat hot soup. I deeply agree with at least half of those things. Hey! You should talk and be more kind. Yeah, most people only agree with some of what I say. It's okay. It's, I'm doing good 50%. Well, I believe that it would probably be good for those of you who can consume those beverages and that food. But since I cannot partake, I cannot offer an opinion on it at this time. Oh, right. I keep forgetting it. can't really consume. What do you consume? Space. Rufus also thinks really hard on that one. Char's just kind of sitting back and like eyes going between the two. Like this is a great, like she's just happy to watch this happen. You ate the sky. Oh, no, I have misspoke. I meant that I consume space as in I take up space. Oh, it was a joke. Oh. <laughs> no, I quite literally take up space where 
I am there is not air anymore because I am there. Wow. That was like poetry. It's so beautiful. Do you do that often? Speak in such lyrical ways? I suppose I do. You should you should write it down. I'm I not very good with this. words myself, so you know, when somebody anything can can Wow. And he just kinda stares at you in amazement with these big old eyes. Safeguard kinda like puffs up like a happy bird. Just like well thank you very much for this opinion. Usually people find my voice kind of upsetting because they think that it does not have as much inflection as it should. But I appreciate your take on this much more. Rufus smiles. He might blush. He has like little rosy cheeks and his nose poking out from under his big beard. Blush just a little bit. Is it weird? I'm, I feel things. I believe a lot of creatures feel things. Do you feel things? Chad, do you feel things? I feel things quite frequently. Yes. Yes, I believe most beings feel things. Oh, that's not true. So as this riveting conversation's happening... <laughs> Rufus is like, no, there's evil in the world. People don't feel things. They're dead inside. I uh, it. Roll me a perception check, all of you. 15. 19. Not good. 10. Char, you notice in the front door of the tea and soup shop... Rufus, what is the name of your tea and soup shop? Rufus named this tea shop um, Hot and Wet it's what he serves, hot, wet things, tea, soup, broth. Makes you know. total sense. Occasional coffee if we get the beans in, but usually just tea. So, yeah, hot and wet. Hot and wet. So so Char notices in the front door to hot and wet <laughs> the <laughs> local clockwork cat Phineas walk in. Cat? As in cat? As in a clockwork cat, yes. Nice. Char notices Phineas and kind of leans down and beckons to him like you would a regular cat yes. and like moves her fingers to get it to come near her. And like a regular cat, it then sits down and stares at you in the doorway. Come here, Phineas. Phineas. Licks, lifts its leg and licks its clockwork butt. Does Okay, question. Does this cat show up frequently? Yes, this is the neighborhood cat. Oh. All three of you are familiar with the cat. It's uh, It comes by quite often, and and I would say, actually, each of you, if you're animal-ish people, you would have a rapport with it. Char has a rapport because it is clockwork, and she is fascinated by Phineas. <laughs> when the cat acts like a cat, she puts her teacup down and stands up and walks over to pick it up, like hoist it. All right. Roll me an animal handling check. Cool. Unnatural 20? All right. You, nice. you you scoop this cat in your arms in the tea shop. Mm -hmm. Okay. And just kind of does a little like scratch under the chin, but also does a little bit of looking around to make sure that Phineas's gears and cogs look okay. Phineas looks to be in good health, but instead of purring, it clicks. So question, if... I definitely would have interacted with this cat because I yep. love animals. So would I already know whether or not I need to cast speak to animals on it? You have tried in the past and it doesn't seem like it actually works because it's a clockwork cat and not an actual biological cat. And it's given you a lot of disappointment in the past. You've actually been trying. I feel like you would be trying in your spare time to come up with a way to converse with it because it bugs you that it doesn't work. Uh, so I would light up when I see Phineas and go, oh, Mr. Phineas, it is wonderful to see you today. How are you doing? Char kind of turns to safeguard with Phineas and 
shifts the cat so that's holding it on its back like baby style and then like moves its paw to like talk to safeguard like it's talking but she won't talk for it she just like moves the paw the paw or the mouth no the paw like like waving like you know how you take your cat and you move its paw to say hi to people I'll tell you, when Char turns around, you hear Rufus like, <laughs> like sneeze, this giant man sneeze. Rufus has convinced himself that he's allergic to this cat because he's allergic to all cats. So as soon as Rufus sneezes, Phineas jumps out of Char's arms onto Safeguard's shoulders yes. and tries to reach, like, tries to, like, sniff closer to Rufus. Um, he, he, he pinches his, his, his nose. I can't. I'm so allergic to cats. Get it out. Safeguard, maybe we should take Phineas outside. So Safeguard just like kind of clucks um, Phineas under the chin and just casually walks out with the cat on their shoulder. Excellent. Does Char go out with Safeguard? Char is keeping an eye on Safeguard, but she's going to walk over to Rufus. Are you okay? I think so. Just okay. a little stuffy from the cat. You you do know that that cat does not have fur like a normal cat. So you should not be allergic to that cat. What? I thought you were allergic to the cat part, not the fur part. Um, no. <laughs> I mean, it's okay. It's, it's fine. Oh, Safeguard took Phineas outside. I want, I want to... He like sneezes again. Oh, what I like Phineas. He looks so cuddly. He's a very nice cat, as cats go. Oh wait, I got some idea. He like waddles over to the far side of the room where he keeps his his barrel backpack, his giant barrel backpack, and his staff. And uh, there's a small string where clearly he hangs the quaint clothing collection he has to dry. He pops one of the wooden clothespins off of the line, and plugs his nose with it. Now I can be around a kitty. Yes, perfect. Um, would you like to come outside and meet Phineas? His eyes, like, get big. And there's, like, just that line of, like, water along the bottom of joy. I would love to. Wonderful. Come on, Rufus. So as the two of you walk out the front door of Hot and Wet, Safeguard is outside just, I assume, cuddling with Phineas, who is now obviously warmed up to the large Warforged. Oh, yes. Uh, so Safeguard would have just walked out onto the street and probably still petting Phineas while on their shoulder. Well, Mr. Phineas, I apologize that your visit to the tea shop was cut short. I do not suppose you would like to tell me where you would like to go next? Phineas gives you a big yawn and kind of leans back in your arms, does a stretch, pointing a little bit down the alleyway that's in front of the shop. I want you to roll a perception check with advantage. Ooh. A 19. All right. With a 19, just as Rufus and Tara are walking out the front door, you look down in the direction of which Phineas is lazily stretching, not expecting to actually see anything, but you notice something. You know, something kind of flit around in the shadows. It's a tressum. All of you roll a nature check for me. Let's see if, if any of you know what a tressum is. Well, Tiffany sure doesn't. Uh, 17. 16. 15. Well, I'll say all of you know, although Safeguard gets the most excited by this, a tressum is basically a house cat with wings. <gasps> like a ra- a normal cat? Yeah. Oh, th- those I really am allergic to. Okay, well, 
I have my clothespin. And definitely make a weird gasp sound since I I don't know if I have lungs or not, but it's very excited. Just, Mr. Phineas, you have made quite an exciting friend. Let us go greet them. And so I just happily trot over with Mr. Phineas to where the cat is. The cat jumps up on a a window ledge as you come closer to it, just as Char and Rufus walk out the front door, seeing their Warforged friend and Clockwork Cat walk down the alleyway. Where are they going? I'm not sure. Well, let's let's follow along so you can... I would like you to meet the cat since you wanted to meet the cat. I want to pet it. Okay, well, let's let's follow Safeguard and... We'll get to Phineas that way. So, Safeguard, you're going to actually get over towards the window where uh, the Tresum is waiting for you. And I want you to roll me another animal handling to see how it reacts to you walking up. Modified 20. Mod- Ooh, okay, cool. Well, Tresums are usually not a big fans of large, hulking, unknown things coming their ways, but... I have a flower crown. You have a flower crown and you have this clockwork cat who seems to be fairly relaxed in your arms. It lets you... Get as close as you would like. So I get pretty close and I, the hand that I'm not using to hold the clockwork cat, I hold out for the Tresum to be able to sniff if they want to and go, well, hello, sir or madam or other. How are you doing on this day to see if it can talk to me without me casting and speak with animals? And this gray, heavy set, long furred cat with kind of scruffy wings shudders and rubs against your hand that you offer as Rufus and Char walk up next to you. If it doesn't respond, I'm going to cast Speak with Animals. Oh, uh, Safeguard, what what uh, cat friend have you made? It's got wings. I do not know yet. Uh, hello, friend. Do you have a name? Yes, I am Goddard. Goddard, it is lovely to meet you. I am Safeguard. These are my friends, Rufus, Char, and Phineas. Hello. Oh, yes, sir. Uh, oh, the big one speaks weird. I know I know the cat one. The other one, I don't know what to think of, but you seem approachable. I very much appreciate that assessment. <laughs> does the Tressum just speak cat or does it speak any other Oh, no, language? it speaks cat. So it's definitely okay. this large warforce going meow, meow, meow. And the Tressum's going meow, 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 meow. Listen, I'm just making sure it didn't speak something I spoke. No. Okay. This is definitely speak with animals. Okay. Then Rufus, as this goes on, leans down and over to Char and goes, should I be able to understand it? Well... Do you have any kind of magic that would let you talk to an animal? I imagine at this point the camera like zooms out and you look at Rufus, who is the most non-magical human you probably ever laid eyes on. He's so he's so damn plain. And then the camera like bonk, zooms back in again. He goes, no, I don't think so. Then you won't understand what is being said. To be fair, I also don't know what is being said. You said this is um this is definitely not the neighborhood cat. Does it? look like it's owned by someone ah good question i want you to roll an investigation let's see if you can figure any of that god i'm rufus i i can't investigate my own shadow come on rufus i believe in you (laughs) (laughs) nice char got an eight (laughs) (laughs) thank god for rufus (laughs) rufus has some instincts as rufus detective rufus yeah, seriously, Detective as Detective Rufus kind of emboldens himself with his nose clip, he gets close to the Tresum 
Goddard. And right as Goddard's about to say something else to safeguard, he kind of gets startled and he jumps in the window inside the the real the room behind him. So basically, this looks like the front of a workshop. None of you've seen this Tressum before, seen Goddard before, but it really seems like this is probably whomever he he lives with is in this building. Oh, I didn't mean to scare you. I'm sorry. Uh, so I would get close to the window. How high is the window from the ground? It's probably around your waist, from your waist up to your head. Oh, so I can see in through it. Yes. I want to look in and go, uh, Sir Goddard, are you all right? As you stick your head in, sure. sparks, magical sparks, just all different colors, poof, 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 right inside the workshop, kind of momentarily blinding you. You stumble back just slightly, blinking the flashes out of your eyes. Phineas has run away at the sparks, and Rufus and Char are standing next to you as you kind of stumble back a little stunned. Oh, uh, bright, bright. That was bright. What, what, what was it? Was it decay? No, there was bright lights. I do not believe I was supposed to stick my head within that window. I think it told me. Not to. This is a side window or the front of the business? This is the window that's next to the main entrance. Is it open? The what? The business? The entrance? The Does business? the business look open? Yeah. The door looks like if you pushed it open, it would open right off. Well, I could understand someone not wanting you to come through the window. Uh, perhaps we should try the door. So smart. Before that, Safeguard just leans close to the window and just calls loudly. Goddard! Goddard, are you all right? Yes. <laughs> you just hear this like half forlorn yes from somewhere inside the shop. Did you want us to visit with you more or do you want to be left alone? Whatever your preference is, I couldn't really care less either way, but I'll be here if you want to come in. Well, do you like having guests or do you spend more time by yourself? I wouldn't want to impose. You're greeted by the sound of silence. Would I know who owns this shop? Like, if it, is it on the street where my shop is? You actually are surprised by this. So the first thing that's strange here is you've all seen Phineas. He's a neighborhood cat. But this Tressum, Goddard, you, none of you have ever seen this cat before. So, okay, you could explain that away. But second, Rufus, this is on the same street as your shop. The storefront, the, the front of this workshop has been abandoned for a while. So the fact that there's something going on inside of it Seems like maybe there's a squatter or someone who's kind of slipped in that's maybe trying to keep a low profile. Oh, that's that makes more sense. I just immediately went, oh, new neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> um, Rufus goes, wait a second. And he like plugs now that there are no cats around. He plugs the clothespin off of his nose and he steps back to like take the front of the building in as if for some reason that's going to help his memory. And he goes, I don't I don't think anybody's supposed to be in there unless Maybe it's a new merchant, but it's usually quite abandoned. Then do you believe that Goddard is trespassing? Or whoever Goddard's owner is, maybe. There might only be one way to figure this out. We're going to go say hi, and Char is going to walk in. Safeguard follows. Rufus, realizing that he's a step behind, does a hop skip and slides sideways through the door. Perfect. So Char goes in first, safeguard in the middle, and Rufus skips in from behind. The little bit of smoke slowly is kind of dissipating inside the shop. It's very dark in here. Do any of you happen to have dark vision? I do. Rufus, I'm guessing not because he's human. I don't think I do. I don't think so. 
So Char, Char leads in, which is probably a good idea because you're the only one with dark vision. So your eyes acclimate very quickly to the very dark and slightly smoky room in front of you. And in front of you, you see a figure from behind. So they've not seen you. You see the back of them. And it's a long, flowy blue cloak, like robes, um, for a figure that's probably about five feet tall with a long, tall, pointy blue hat hunched over something in front of it. You kind of notice Goddard in the corner past the blue cloaked figure. Char is going to flick her fingers and produce flame in her paw. Okay. So produce flames a cantrip. And then she's going to walk over and lean down over the person's shoulder. <laughs> Go, well, what are you doing? Well, before you can lean over their shoulder, the producing flame got their attention. So at the same time that Safeguard and Rufus can actually see, the figure turns around going, oh, who's there? Uh, well, hello. Uh, my name is Char. And you would be? I would be minding my own business if I were you. Great. Um, This is an abandoned warehouse space, but... Now you're here. So we were just coming to check and make sure that you were supposed to be here. Who are you? The warehouse police? Well, you're my new neighbor. I was going to you know, welcome you. Usually I bring soup, but I didn't have time to prepare. You did, I didn't know you were here. Well, I was trying to keep a low profile. I thought it would be safer for all of you. You've muddled into something, I'm afraid. I'm Rufus. I don't really muddle. My name is Safeguard. Will you tell us your name? My name is Gurlin, and I am here trying to help some people out before more people get sucked in and hurt in this thing that's going on beyond your control. Why, why, people is getting hurt? Yes. Well, why? As the light kind of illuminates the room a little bit more, Safeguard and Rufus can actually see clearly in front of you the face that's furrowed as you say why. It belongs to that of what appears to be a magic user tabaxi. And the tabaxi's face just in deep thought. And, oh, that's a very complicated question. There are so many cats, but I'm so excited. Yeah, Rufus sneezes again. At the moment, he, he sees the cat as if it didn't matter until he saw it. When the light hits, he goes, it's <laughs> a big kitty. And he, like, sneezes again. Gurlin prestidigitates a handkerchief in his hand and reaches out to hand it to Rufus. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> you said that people were being hurt. What is hurting them? Oh, have you heard? Oh, I don't know if I should tell you. Hmm. Gurlin walks over to the corner and sits on a stool next to what you're starting to see, which he was bent over a second ago, which seems to be a small box, at least from where you're standing. And Goddard is sitting on top of the box. He's like, I don't, I don't know. I, oh, I really shouldn't bring anybody else in. Goddard, do you know what the matter is? Goddard looks at you, kind of looks up at Gurlin. He'll tell you. Gurlin looks down at Goddard. Shut up, cat. The tabaxi finally kind of gives a huff. Oh, I suppose it can't be helped. All right, all right, all right. Come here, come here. And, and these, these tabaxi paws gesture for the three of you to come sit around the box that's in the center of this abandoned workshop. Is it on the floor? It is. I'm definitely going to sit cross-legged like a child. Very excited for a story. That's what Rufus was going to do, but it's more of a meditative position. Char sits down. <laughs> Char. <laughs> so Ger Gerlin sits 
back straight and looks forward at the three in front of him. And he just takes this moment to steady himself as if he's about to unburden himself with a grave secret that he knows he shouldn't share with others due to its danger. But he's finally just reluctantly given in, deciding to bring you three into his confidence. How, how much do you know beyond this world, this world that you live in? How much do you know of the planes beyond? I know there are many planes. And I kind of came from one before. This is kind of like second plane for me, really. Yes, for me as well. Where? Where have you two come from? Well, I was... I was just... What, uh, but, but, and Rufus is kind of like, uh, water deep. I came from water deep. I came from the woods. Gurlin definitely kind of... Oh, God. <laughs> This this is going to be a thing. But he he kind of, okay, okay, okay. And uh, as you're sitting there and he's about to start telling you what's going on, what are your all passive perceptions? 15, 12, 18 for Char. Safeguard and Char, as he begins to tell his story, you notice in the center of the room, this cube object in front of you is not actually a cube or a box, but it actually under the light appears to be a quadrone. A four-sided Modron. But it's just sitting there, not really moving. And Gurlin begins to talk. I've been contacted by the Coalition of Concerned Celestials, or the CCC, to get these three Celestials safe passage into Avernus. Have you ever heard of Lulu? Lulu? Yes, Lulu, the holly font. This is, this is, oh, I can't trust anyone. Lulu, the holly font, who belongs to Zeriel. So, so Lulu in the elephant? Holly font. It's a holly font. Holly font. And he, he prestidigitates a holly font out of imagery in front of the three of you. And it looks like a small little flying elephant. It's got wings. It's a little kind of shaggy. Its nose goes woo and it just blows up and it just kind of looks wistfully. Lulu, the pink holly font, belongs to Zariel. And Lulu's gone. And all the planes are threatened. Okay, back back up just one second here for me, Gerlin. Um, yes. Okay, Lulu's gone. I got this. Uh, planes are threatened. W- why are the planes threatened? Because Lulu is gone. It's 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 all got to do with Zariel. Zariel. Zariel has the fallen one in Avernus. Uh, who's Zariel? <laughs> oh, you're killing me. Could I roll? some information here what, what would this be you this, can roll no mm. i won't know nothing why would i even think that that's a possibility that's a great question how about all of you roll me history checks history checks at disadvantage because you're all not from the planes he's talking about uh, that that makes me so sad because just as you were saying disadvantage i rolled a nat 20 oh <laughs> i'm sorry Five, thirteen. Five, thirteen. Seventeen. Re- disadvantage yeah i got a 12 but i have a plus five in religion because it's one, one of my stats 18 <laughs> okay okay yeah okay so he's so mad i'm a cleric <laughs> yeah that makes sense you're cleric yeah i'm a cleric i've got religion so so you're a fire genasi char and among your people you've heard stories of zariel who is a very powerful being in avernus uh, who's involved with a lot of the demons and archfiends down there. Uh, she is actually a fallen one who has taken up in this particular plane of existence. And what you know of Avernus 
it's one of the rings of hell in which there are obviously a lot of conniving and thieving and backstabbing and scheming beings down there. And in this particular case, you know that there's probably a few demons down there who have stolen this holly font in efforts to upset Zeriel and possibly start a turf war. I think I remember Zeriel now. She's a fallen one who's now in Avernus, which is a ring of hell or layer of hell, however you want to think about it. Wait, 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 wait. Just hold it. Are we have to go to hell? I don't well, want no, to go you, to hell. You don't have to go to hell. And then he gestures to the box in front of you. This, this is why I was contacted. And he describes to you the fact that you're seeing this quadrant in front of you, this four-sided modron, in which he was just magically trying to disguise as an interplanar steamer trunk, in which the three <laughs> celestials are being hidden inside of. Mm -hmm. Now, his magic is not great, and so it kind of flickers back and forth between a steamer trunk and the modron, but he's tried as best as he can and apparently he's the only one the ccc can trust so um so this 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 fallen one yeah this this lulu is precious too oh Zarin? quite quite lulu is like the only thing that could possibly redeem zario it's the it's the one grounding being in her life that can either bring her back from the brink or cause even the hells to descend into the utmost chaos. Oh, I see. It would be like if somebody took my teapot. Uh. Yes, yes. It would be like if someone took your teapot and that made you a different person from who you were. And until they returned the teapot, you would not be the same person. Happy? Yes. I, if somebody stole my teapot, I'd never be happy ever again. Rufus gets a small tune and goes, but <clears throat> it's fine. More to the point, we have to get, we have to get Zariel's teapot. I mean, Lulu. I have to get the specialist to find your teapot for Zariel into the land. Uh, so the specialists are who you are trying to hide in this flickering magic trunk yes um would it be why do you sound so surprised well it's flickering and that doesn't <laughs> seem good for camouflage i'm very good at my job you're very good at your job side note to you being very good at your job would it be helpful to have a real trunk for them to hide in there's no time. There's no time. The Modron piece is what allows the steamer trunk with the Celestials to travel from this plane to the next. Ever since Eris, the god of chaos, was released, the membrane between planes has gotten thin. And this is both what helps us in, to get these folks in to save Lulu, but also threatens all of Mechanus and the planes beyond. So we just need to deliver your flickering box? Yes, yes, that's exactly right. And he kind of gets these crazy old man eyes as his like cat eyebrows kind of furrow out and he's got this big bushy beard that just kind of gets a little bit more bushier as he gets excited. And he's like, wait, wait, shh, shh, hold that shot, thought. And he kind of does this quick perimeter check. No one's, no one's here. No one's, you said something about stealing your pot. Did someone follow you? No. Uh, okay. I don't see anyone else here. Um. Okay, so... This box, I have to get to my contact so he can get it to the next plane. 
Can you help me? Uh, Certainly. Where is your contact? He's just a few straights over. I'm just, I'm worried because there are other forces who would want to see us stopped. So Lulu goes missing and plunges Avernus into true chaos. What forces would those be? His name is Thavius and he is a really bad dude. He may be working with others, like a bounty hunter named Deathfang the Ice Devil, or rumor has it, Ball himself. Oh, well, that sounds terrible. So how about we not let that part happen? This is why I was trying to be so careful. Okay, well... Well, who's the person that's supposed to get it? We should know their name so we don't give it to the wrong person. I've been known to do that occasionally. The the contact I have is another Warforged like yourself. His name is H3110, and he works a few blocks over. He has the piece we need to open the portal to get the box into the next plane. Oh, he's got the key? Basically. Okay. Okay, so we get we 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 visit this this H three double one zero. Yes. And then we we get the key, and then what? And then it opens, and poof, the box is gone onto its next leg of its journey. So we we just put it in whatever portal opens. Yes. And hope the people on the other side are the right people. Oh, I have it already lined up that the people on the other side will be another contact for the CCC. It's our contact, Reginald. Do you have an address written on it if perhaps it gets lost along the way? That is a wonderful question. Actually, H3 has the uh, ha- has the way it's going to be guided. It's called a slap pass. A sh- a sh- I'm sorry, a slap pass? Y- yes, it's a magical sticker of sorts that gets thrown on the side of the box. And where it shows is where it goes. Wonderful. What an excellent invention. Do, do we have to be slapped? Not, not, no, not you. Just slap the box. Oh, the box gets slapped. Okay. Yes. Is he just going to be standing in the middle of the street? Like, where do we need to go? Gerlin gives you a map where he quickly, hastily writes down on it a little map of the streets in the area, which he looks at Rufus constantly saying, okay, this, this shop is this one. And you oh, know yeah, where yeah. this I one know, is. I know his daughter. Yeah, oh, and, and his mm-hmm. wife. Well, his neighbor is where you're going. Oh, so he, okay. It's the third cousin of the second neighbor of, and Rufus is like, "Oh, I know this." Oh, good, good. Hopefully, that's a good know this. Rufus is very good with people. Oh, good. Oh, thank goodness. Um, we'll have to split up just so I can try to create a diversion to take attention off of you three. And so he writes on the on the map. A small little code phrase. Oh, perfect. Okay, what's our code phrase, David? What do you all want the code phrase to be? Oh, no. The code phrase is hot and wet. The code phrase is the name of your business, hot and wet. That will be easy to remember then. So just take this map and the Modron trunk with the Celestials inside, and I need you to help get it to that address and find the construct H3110 and just say hot and wet in a conversation, and he'll know what to do. (laughs) What a thing to just drop into conversation. Okay. Rufus is here for this. He doesn't understand why hot and wet is not part of normal conversation. Hello, are you feeling hot and wet today? I'm always feeling hot and wet. He's clearly a sweaty man. <laughs> it's also a metaphor for his physical state. So is the trunk still, like, flickering? 
It is still slightly flickering. The illusion has kind of settled a little. It's a little bit more of a static steamer trunk, but every few seconds it still kind of briefly flickers like a Modron and then goes back to its trunk form. How big is it, David? Yeah, It's about an actual steamer trunk size. So probably two to three feet long and uh, 18 inches tall slash wide. Rufus walks over and we can just like pick it up, right? Yep. Okay. Yeah, Rufus uh, picks it up. I goes, I can, I can carry it. Well, let's, let's just walk like we know what we're doing. Well, I do know what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Then it okay. will not be That's difficult fine. to do. Exactly. You're and so Char's gonna, right. Char's going to go open the door, motion for them to go on out. Gurling quickly scoots out under your feet. Oh, excuse me. And he flicks his tail for a second. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll cause a distraction. And you see him and Goddard and Phineas run off in one direction, opposite of the way that the three of you are about to go. Rufus is quick this way. Safeguard kind of looks longingly in that direction because obviously they want to go where the cats are going, but they understand they can't. Phineas looks back over his shoulder, briefly looking at Safeguard, and then continues on with the other two. Safeguard waves. Well, I suppose we should get on with it so that we can be finished at infant sooner. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right. oh, for sure. Um, this way. Uh, Rufus kind of motions. I'm hoping that we run past his tea shop. It's that direction. So he can grab his barrel backpack and his staff. He realizes he didn't bring it. Yes. Yeah, so it's actually going right back past your shop in that direction. So if you need to duck in for a couple seconds and grab anything, you've got a moment. Yeah. Rufus strangely dexterously like darts in. He's in there like 30 seconds and he comes out with staff and barrel on back and all the things he needs to, to travel. Wonderful. Well, let's go. Before you walk back out of the shop, as you're inside and Rufus is grabbing his stuff, I want two rolls. I want first a stealth check and second, another perception check. From all of us? From all of you. 11? Okay. 17. 10. Okay. Not 20. 23. Wow. 12. Eh. Okay. Uh <laughs> Fuck off, Tiffany. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> No, <laughs> we're not okay. stealthy at all, but we are aware what's going on around us. Right. Yeah. You are super woke. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, Rufus so, was stealthy. He's 17 on his stealth. Yeah. No, he's, he's actually the most stealthy out of all of you. Just kidding. That's I'm pretty not impressive. <laughs> I'm like clomping very loudly. <laughs> it's only because Rufus went inside. So all of you, so I'll, I'll say all of you are just inside the shop, standing just inside as Rufus is collecting his stuff. Uh, you all got a 10 or higher for your stealth. So that was good enough to just not be knocking down the house and bringing over attention to Rufus's shop, which is good because you, your perception rolls, in particular, both Rufus and Safeguard, you notice in the front window of your hot and wet tea and soup shop, walking by a small cluster of very scary figures. You see the overseer Von Neumann, who is the overseer of all inevitables and a lot of Modron hordes. It's a very powerful mechanist person. With him is Deathfang, the ice devil. And with the two of them is a tall, grizzled, terrifying ranger in tattered clothes, a bloody curved dagger on his hip and a red handkerchief tucked into his leather. They speak together in hushed tones as they walk in front of your window past your shop in the direction that you just came. I rolled a nat 20 on my perception. Can I hear anything that they say as they walk past? Can you understand Infernal? No. 
So you can't understand the ranger, but you can understand Von Neumann, who you catch words of Eris, Chaos, Laws Broken, Gerlin, Trunk. And you can see his mind seems to be like, I'm about to send somebody after them. And Deathfang, who is speaking common to Von Neumann, you all can understand that he says, and I will be hot on their trail, whomever they are. Rufus puts his hood up before he comes out the house, just to be that much more incognito. And it slips around the corner and he comes out. I don't mean to be presumptuous, but I think they was talking about us. Yes, I do believe you're right. Maybe we should pitter-patter. Does it appear to you as if they are going in the direction in which we are supposed to be going? They were actually walking in the direction you just came from. Oh, they're so walking they're going in that opposite direction. way. Okay, great. Yes. Okay. Towards Gerlin's temp shop. My friends, I think perhaps we should hurry. Yes, uh, but don't run. It attracts attention. Just just casually we'll just casually walk in. Alright, so give me a casual walk roll or stealth <laughs> I don't roll. I know what that means. I thought you meant we acted out and I was so ready. <laughs> <laughs> Nat twenty. Nice. Twenty three. You said that was wow. stealth? Yes. Fifteen. Wow, you all blend into the crowds in the city of Temperus all the way out to the warehouse in which H3 is currently at. Is the warehouse door open? Like, can we just walk in or should we knock? The warehouse door is closed. Is it locked? Yes. Char Char knocks. Are there any windows or places we could look in? There's no windows on the front. It's just like a warehouse that looks like it's got a large, the equivalent of a barn door that's been pulled closed. Like it's got machinery or something inside. We don't see anyone around. Uh, not outside, aside from the milling about pedestrians just walking here and there. Nobody that's directly with the warehouse. Should, should we just knock? Uh, let's start there, I think. It's the polite thing to do. Exactly. And Char is going to give like a, a slight knock. Loud enough where they could hear, but not like attract attention. So Char, as you knock on the solid brass door into the hollow warehouse... The light knot goes bong, 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 and resonates out through. Listen, I thought it was wood, David. <laughs> I thought it was a Ruth wood door. Rufus goes shh right at the door. And she like puts her hand out to like try to silence, like to buffer the door to make the sound stop. You know how sound works, David. <laughs> I do. Have, I do know. So you, you, it goes bong, bong. As you put your hands on it, and then you hear latch, 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 latch. As you hear multiple locks being undone on the backside, and the door cracks open about three inches with another latch at the top, not letting it go further. And as you look forward, expecting to see maybe the Warforged you're looking for, you don't see anything. You notice down at your knees a short gnome. What do you want? Uh, we're looking for H3110. Who's asking? Uh, my name is Char. Does he know a Char? Uh, I'm not sure, but uh, I have something to deliver here that is hot and wet. And it's mm. not me. Mm. <laughs> but he does own a shop that is called that. It's true. You see, the, you see the gnome start to just slowly close the door at that. And Char like puts her foot in the way so it can't like close. Hey, hey, that's not that's not nice. That's not how doors work. Doors close. Uh, correct. But we need to get through this door and talk with H three one one zero. It's true. Uh, oh. Fine, let me go. Let me see if he's around. Okay, so hold on, hold on, hold on. And he pulls it open just a little bit more, and then he tries to close it and on your foot. And she stops it again. Roll a 1d6. 
Am I going to have to pull this door open? That's a six. You get six points of damage on your foot. That's fine. Yeah, is the door closed now? No, it's it's still slightly ajar on Char's foot. So Safeguard's going to like loom over and have their hand in between the door and the wall to like look like they're going to be holding the door open. And in the most pleasant way possible, be like, my friend, I think it would be wise if you open this door and let us continue with our journey so that nothing happens to anyone that perhaps they do not want. It's true. Can I can I roll intimidation? You can roll intimidation. That's what I want. Rufus simply says, we've been given slap passes. We can slap whoever we want. <laughs> 21. The gnome is duly intimidated. And whereas he was about to just run off and find H3 and kind of leave you there, he agrees with you and he Oh, 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 okay, okay, okay. But but I, I, I have to leave the door latched until he gets gives the okay. Is that okay? Can we come inside and then you can latch it? I'll, I'll, I'm going to go get him. He'll be right up here to talk to you through here. Can I roll an insight? Is he lying? You can roll an insight. Yeah, we'd rather come inside. 18. 17. He's telling the truth. I do not believe it would be wise for any of us for the hot and wet items we are carrying to linger outside for long. I, I don't really, I don't care about the temperature or the, the, the dampness of it, but I just, I have to go get him because there's a lot of seedy fellows about and I'm just, we got to be careful. Yes, we are hoping to enjoy, avoid catching their detection. Go get H3110. I'll be right there. And he just, poof, just scurries out of view very quickly. Did he lock the we still have the door open, right? It's still open, but it is latched. So you would have to try to break the latch. Is it something that we could reach? Like reach our hand in? No. Your your arms are much too too thick to get in there or pull it closed to unlatch it. Maybe we should just, you know, give the, the little one the benefit of the doubt. Um, and, you know, I'm a firm believer that if you mean to other people, it will come full circle. I would like that to be true. You are correct. We'll give the benefit of the doubt. And worst case scenario, we just slap him. Yes. Worst case scenario, we just slap him. What is this I'm hearing about a worst case scenario? Oh, um, hello. As you see eyes peering through now at about six and a half feet tall height. Uh, hello. Are you hello. H3110? That is my designation, Yes. Does it mean something to you if we say things are hot and wet? You see his eyes suddenly narrow. Say that again, please. My body is hot and wet. And without saying a word, you just see the door close and unlatch. And it just, the door opens right up. Come in, come in. Wonderful. And we all enter. Yes. With our hot and wet item. It's not Rufus. Again, not Rufus. (laughs) Not yet. Not yet. He's not hot and wet yet. H3 pulls the door closed very quickly behind you and relatches all the latches down. I do not know you, but since you say that, I must assume you've met with my contact with Gerlin? Yes, we have. I am Safeguard. Hello. Uh, Hello, I am Char. Hello, Char. And Safeguard. And large man, you are? I'm, 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 I'm Rufus. You you own the delectable liquid shop around the corner, don't you? Hot and wet. Yes. We chose that phrase because we didn't think it was a common phrase. Did we choose correctly? Was it a good choice? It was... I mean, I quite like it. 
I prefer most things hot and wet. Soup and tea are kind of what I'm good at. I'll have to take your word on it, as I do not eat. But it sounds lovely. I do not either, but I enjoy being in the ambiance of their shop. Oh, that is wonderful. I enjoy your ambiance. Oh, but time for this later. (laughs) Did it just get hot and wet in here? Is it just me? (laughs) (laughs) Is this how Warforged flirt? (laughs) The most awkward flirting of any kind. Uh, Does Rufus still have the... Yeah, Rufus would be carrying the package. Is that the package? Yes, it is. Does this have the celestials inside, the CCC scent? As far as we know, yes, that is what Gerlin said. No, yes, yes, no. We have not seen inside of it. I mean, we're, we're trusting the cat who said, well, I mean, Gerlin, that it was in there, right? Yes, Gerlin said that they were in there. Gerlin said, okay, okay, wonderful. Hold on, let me get set, let me turn some lights on. And he walks into the main part of the of the workshop. As you can see, this is now a very large warehouse. It's about two blocks long and it's very wide. It looks like a place where some of the machinery from this plane, this is somewhere like an industrial center where machines are assembled and then leave. It just happens to be a little more empty at the moment. So he walks down about halfway and starts to light some torches along the edge of the warehouse. And you can see him better. He is a he's a full war warforged. Uh, he his main body is the shape of a crab, like a crab carapace, with strong, strong legs like tree trunks. Like if someone tried to make tree trunks into warforged legs, and then the head of almost like a bug, like large eyes and a slight bug-like shape. And it's very intimidating as the light reflects off of H3, painted in the royal bronze and crimson colors of Mechanus with his glowing eyes. And he looks at you. We must hurry. I'm, I'm worried that someone may find us, and we must get this on the next leg of the journey. Yes, we believe that we saw the uh, individuals that you are avoiding going in the opposite direction earlier, but they are probably not far away. They are here? You saw them? They are here? How many were there? Three. That is worse than we expected. Oh, okay. We must hurry. And H3 walks over to a bench, and you see him start to rustle through some tools, and underneath it, he pulls out what appears to be the equivalent of a magical sticker. This is the slap pass, and he hands it in the middle to whichever one of you reach for it. Char will grab it. And then turn to Rufus and reach up to slap it on the steamer trunk. So as you take it, it looks like a cog. The outer part is a cog that circles a compass on the center part with the word mechanis written in the center part of it. That's so cool. That is really cool. <laughs> Too bad the real mail doesn't work that way. Right? Right. right. <laughs> As you reach and slap this on the side of the trunk, the gear of the sticker itself begins to spin as the Modron trunk begins to glow as if it's finally activating in your arms. Um, um, You may want to set that down. Oh, uh, Rufus puts it like in the middle and hands up and backs away as to not harm himself or it. And it starts to radiate this kind of bluish hue coming out from the trunk slash Modron in front of your eyes. Um... That that is activated, and then it's now it's now getting ready to figure out where the portal needs to go to get it to the next plane. Now all that is left is getting the portal open, and then this will be able to get sent through to the next leg of its journey. Okay, how do we do that? And 
H3110 opens his chest plate and there is this glowing orange crystal that's sitting in the center of his hollowed out chest plate surrounded by turning gears and little machinery all around it. You must take this crystal. It will open the portal for us. Oh. Does it look like he's being powered by the crystal? Yes. Well, well, won't that, you know, just like make you not really... Is it there like taking your heart? I have understood my function is as protector in my day would come. I give my life freely for the betterment of all the worlds. No, we can't take this. Rufus like looks at the crystal in his open chest and looks at the other two and goes, we can't, we can't, he'll kill it. There must be some other way to open a portal. Uh, Char walks up to H3 and kind of looks him in the eye, looks at the crystal. David, let me know if you'll let me do this. <laughs> but since she is a cleric, I have spared the dying as a cantrip, which basically stabilizes someone when they're at zero or lower hit points. If Could I cast spare the dying on H3 to pull the crystal and keep him stable? Like keep his circuitry stable? So basically kind of keep him at one HP? Yeah, it basically keeps him from like crumpling, but he wouldn't be like be functioning. Yes, I will allow that. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, so Char looks at the crystal, looks at H3, and she puts one hand up on his face because she can't reach like his forehead. She puts one hand on his face, puts one hand on the glowing crystal, closes her eyes for a second, and you see a bit of like a glow, almost like fire inside a forge glows from her hand on his face and it encompasses him and you just hear her whisper be blessed by Hephaestus you will live again and then she takes the crystal out of his chest and as she casts spare the dying on him to keep him stable so that he could be revived again easily you see h3110 as the crystal is removed slump forward as if he's powering down and a little spark of life remains in him, just enough that he can still slightly, very quietly speak, sparing his life, saying, That was most kind. I appreciate you. We don't have much time. Use the crystal to open the portal for the package. So question, if she can do that, if I have lay on hands, can I like restore some HP for him so he's not close to death? Sure. Nice. But you have to describe to me how that would work considering he's a mechanical being. I mean, so am I. I understand. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so I just have lay on hands. So there's something in my machinery or magic within the vines making me up. So Safeguard crouches down and places their hands on his shoulders and their eyes light up green like there's a like an LED light kind of thing. And the vines kind of that you can see through the plates in their shoulders kind of like shift a little bit, kind of like snakes, but not in a creepy way. And the sigil on their forehead also lights up and... They say, thank you for your sacrifice. It will not be needed at this time. And I give him 25 HP. 
and you see the equivalent of electrical sparks kind of shoot out of your fingertips and kind of give him a jolt, enough of an electrical jolt to kind of lift him up slightly as he regains his composure. Now you can tell as the spell recedes and you take your hands off, the power already slightly begins to decrease, but at a slow enough rate that he should be able to find some way to stabilize himself and not die at this moment. Ru- Ru- you can just hear Rufus like behind all of you, like just like, I'm not crying. It's fun. No, I'm really, I'm wet. <laughs> They just kind of like, he's like, yo, so, so nice shit. H3, how do we, how do we use the crystal to make a portal? Oh, yes. I suppose we should have asked that. Char, I guess is going to examine the crystal. Maybe Arcana. Yeah, you can, any of you can do an Arcana check on it. <laughs> Rufus is staring <laughs> in amazement. That's still the heart of that creature. <laughs> What'd you get, magic user? It's an eight. It's the worst roll I've had all night. <laughs> Does our flower crown warforged want to? Uh... I also got an oh, eight. God. Okay. Rufus got a seven. We don't know how crystals work. Seven. Rufus got a seven. Awesome. That's not how my magic works, David. The, the crystal pulses a glowing light in your hand in tune to a heartbeat, but you can't tell exactly how to trigger it opening the portal in front of you. Do you suppose we have to break it? I'm really good at breaking things. Uh, I'm not positive. And Char's going to kind of like hold her hands over the crystal and try to both connect with it. But also she is going to silently ask her deity for help. Mostly because I just really want to use divine intervention because I've never played a cleric before. So as an action, I can request my deity's aid. Um, so I have to roll a percentile. If it's equal to or less than my cleric level, my deity intervenes. Equal or less than my cleric level. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm only a 10 and it's a percentile. Let's hope. No, that's a 42. You move your hands trying to attune yourself and call out to your deity. And as you wait for your deity to come in and intervene, at that moment, you expect them to do something you hear behind you on the door bang 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 who is it i mean at that you hear bang 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 as someone begins to start to beat on the door okay 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 go make the heart turn into a portal and i'll figure this out and rufus like waddles over to the door making sure all the chain lock is on kind of a thing you know and he like he slides the door and he goes who is it do you open the door to look out I'm so nervous. Uh, no. <laughs> That's a trick question. Okay, okay, yeah, well, okay. I, I, I don't, like, peer my head around, but I do, like, slide it. I go, hello, who is it? You look out and tell me what you see. Well, this is very... I, as soon as I see it, I, like, slide the door back shut. You know how, like, a kid will peek around and, like, slides it and turns around to tell mom and dad who's actually at the hotel door. He's a very dark figure. I can't quite see his face. He's in these livery, you know, robes, and he's, 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 he's all dark and shadowy. It's like a shadow's wearing a cloak or something. He's got a, a quiggly blade at his side. Was it one of the people that you saw earlier? Mm-hmm. No. Oh, it, nope, it is not. <laughs> it is not. This is definitely a new person. If it's even a person. 
I worry that we are perhaps out of time. Bang, bang, bang. Oh, who is it? (laughs) Rufus starts over again. (laughs) I still suggest that we break it. If there were a more complicated method, do you not believe that he would have told us? Um, I mean, I guess you're right. Uh, Char's going to just twist it in her hands one more time, and we're going to hope I get a good arcana. That's a nat 20, David. Do I break the crystal? (laughs) I'm really worried about this. We really don't want to mess it all up. (laughs) I don't want to ruin the whole event. (laughs) As you go to break the crystal... And you put it, you, you kind of move it in your hand in this questioning motion. You must have done some moving of it that activates it. Oh. You shook it in the right way just by accident <laughs> that it calls the beginnings. It starts to throb in your hands, like more than just the, the color initially. Like it's, it's not wet, but it is getting very hot in your hands. Brighter, duller, brighter, duller until a point where you're about to not be able to hold it anymore. Oh, I'm going to just put that down there. So we turn it off and then uh, turn it back like on again. Bop it is how I feel like you just have to move it around enough. <laughs> and did you set it near the trunk? Yes. As you bring it close to the trunk, sparks fly out and the fabric of reality starts to fritz in front of all of your eyes. As the banging behind you intensifies, a portal slowly begins to form and take shape in front of your faces, obscuring the warehouse behind it and crackling with a staticky sight. The edges buzz with electricity coming out from this stone as the center begins to shift views. Suddenly, It snaps into a slightly hazy focus, and you see in front of you the eyes of a ranger, a sorcerer, an elk, and raccoon jumping through a town as the ground beneath their feet through a marketplace just is ripped apart, and a 50-foot-tall tarasque lumbers their way in the distance, and the frame freezes and then unfreezes in a new image, and suddenly you see a completely different place, and this time it's a majestic world with beanstalks and tall bioluminescent mushrooms and a thorn-overgrown castle in front of your face and in the foreground you catch a glimpse of a drow atop a phoenix attacking an armada of hundreds of airships astral ships with a battle waged below led by a half elf a dwarf and what appears to be an oozy sentient mushroom and then it freezes again and it fritzes once again and before you have time to say anything the image cuts to another dark world very foreboding and you feeling closer to hell itself in front of you and you see a tall tree very tall and beautiful, and writhing in the tree is a giant serpent, its beauty matched only by its deadliness. And in the other planes that you just saw, where it felt like you were looking into a plane as an observer, in this plane of Ysgard, unlike before where it felt like windows, this serpent suddenly snaps its head and looks directly at the three of you, deadly shiver running down your spines. And right before it starts to move in your direction, it stops, and it changes to its final view, a portal that fritzes once more, dimming as if it's about to wink out and coming back together in a crystal clear focus stable and unwavering and as it does the portal surface begins to frost over and a chill in the air around you as the sound of wind assaulting poorly secured window panes batters your ears and through the frost you see what appears to be an airport counter and yeah that's what it is uh the window is showing mountains reaching up to the clouds jagged and covered in ice in the distance through a window behind the counter that cascades into avalanches beyond yet tucked in this terminal room is a short little kobold wearing an interplanar tsa name tag that says reginald and as reginald sees the three of you his eyes light up 
as he waves excitedly, realizing something, and then flips his name tag around to reveal the letters CCC, excitedly waving once more. I'm going to wave back. Oh, okay. Uh, and Char is going to just push, just push the trunk through the portal. <laughs> he waves more excitedly as Safeguard waves. And as Char reaches down to try to push the steamer trunk Modron through the portal with the slap now moving and guiding it to the correct plane, the door bursts behind you open. I need everybody to roll initiative. Rufus says, nobody's home! So as you look up, the door splinters apart, blowing inside the warehouse as two figures, not one, burst into the warehouse. Rufus, what did you redescribe what you saw looking outside? They were... These shadowy figures, capes behind, like, flowing long leather, dark leather jackets and hoods with definitely a curvy dagger of some kind by their side. And on the other hip looks to maybe be a long sword of some kind or at least a, a, a large melee weapon. Yes, you saw originally one, but now there are two Reapers of Ball himself. Yikes. Um, As they come in, Rufus is like, look. We really don't want to have to fight you. I'm pacifist at heart. So just everybody just calm down. It's too late. We already put it through the portal, mate. As he's saying that, Char's like pushing <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. As he's saying that the Reaper of Ball number one shrouds himself invisible until his next turn Crap. as Reaper number two unleashes a multi-attack using two dagger attacks and shroud self. On, let me roll a d4 to see who. Char. No. So Char. So an 18 and a 17. Uh, the 18, yes. The 17, no. Okay. You take 10 points damage. Oh my gosh. So 10 points damage, and now they are both invisible. Ooh. Rufus, it is your turn. Oh, we got to get this box in. It doesn't even matter if we live. Okay, so Rufus realizes that... That's the most important thing. He's going to run and try to push this box in in a fail swoop. Like, he needs to, like, get it in and out of this plane of existence. Okay, if you want to do a one fail swoop, you're going to have to beat an 18 athletics check. Rufus is like, lost thunder be with me. And he, like, years feet as they, like, pound against the ground and he gets a running start and he's gonna forward roll and just, like, try to push this with his, like, body. Okay, here we go. <laughs> yeah! A 26! Yeah! Wow. Very nice. Yes! So, Rufus, in one swoop, gets the box up off the ground and up to the portal and it starts to go through the portal. But as it's going through the portal, it feels as if it's met with resistance. So it's going through, but it's going to take about 30 seconds for it to fully traverse through the portal to the other side. But it's now at least moving on its own into the portal. You just have to protect it while it's still inside of here. Okay, cool. So I will definitely put my body between them and the portal. Like, like you're going to have to basically go through Rufus to get to it. Sure. Uh, next up is Safeguard. So Safeguard just casually... With one hand, takes out their quarter staff, and with the other hand, takes out a short sword. And I'm going to use a bonus action to cast Branding Smite at second level. So with Branding Smite, the next time I hit a creature with a weapon attack before the spell ends, the weapon gleams with astral radiance as I strike. 
The attack deals an extra 2d6 radiant damage to the target, and the target has to become visible if they were invisible. And they'll shed a dim light in a five-foot radius and can't become invisible while the spell is active. I got real excited when you said they were invisible. Okay, you do that. There are two Reapers of Ball, uh, one that was somewhat near Char invisible and one that's somewhere between the group and the door invisible. And we can't like hear their footsteps? No, they are silent. Okay, with my quarterstaff, I'm going to take a like broad sweeping swing of it near Char. Not at Char, but in that area where the guy was. Safeguard, roll me an attack with disadvantage. That is 21. I have a plus nine. I, yeah, I, I figured <laughs> so, there was a winky wink reason. Yeah, no, that's good. Do it. Okay. Just like a pinata. Um, Safeguard, you swing wildly and you happen to clip the shoulder. In like a pinata, you clip the shoulder of the Reaper of Ball that is right next to Char. And you get them in the shoulder. Roll your damage. So that's 16 points of damage. Three of them are radiant damage. Cool. Your quarterstaff hits its shoulder and it hits it so hard that it gets slightly embedded in its shoulder. And as you pull it out, you hear this cracking noise and this black non-blood shoots out where it was previously embedded in its shoulder. Hell yeah. I get a second attack. So I swung it with the right and hit it with the quarterstaff. And as I pull it back, now that I can see it, I raise the short sword and swipe at it from the other side with it. All right. Roll your attack. 19. Hits. 10 points of piercing damage. Describe to me the killing blow. What? So I swung wildly with the quarterstaff and kind of embedded it in its shoulder. And that gave me a good sense of where it is. So using that kind of momentum of pulling it back, I just swipe through like an underhanded bat kind of thing and swipe the short sword across its gut. And you... You just cleave it in twain and its upper torso flies through the air, spiral spinning black viscous non-blood everywhere as the bottom half of its body just falls straight forward in front of Char. Hell yeah. It's the other group of baddies who come rushing in through the door's turn at the sound of the shriek, the blood curdling shriek that that reaper uh, just emitted as you killed it. The second wave of of baddies come through the door. In the front are three bone whelks. Tiffany, what does Char see? They come running. They come slithering very quickly at you. Yeah. It's how big are these, David? These are just as tall as you are. Okay. So these very large slugs come slithering in, but where like I guess snail is better because where a shell would be, it's just like almost ribcage like bone and there's other like dead creature bones inside. And it is terrifying, <laughs> quite honestly. The three are are slithering in very quickly, leaving a snail trail of acid behind it as they each open their maw filled with human teeth coming in to bite you. Yikes. I don't know why that made <laughs> yeah. it worse. Like them having human yeah, teeth. Real. I was fine with everything else, but that was one step too far. Oh my God. Okay. Behind them in the air, <laughs> what? fly through the door, what? are five clockwork dragons that fly through the doorway. These clockwork dragons, their wingspan is about two meters in width. And they are each, you can see in this beautiful bronze, yet 
very deadly view of each of them. This fire that's starting to be breathed out of their mouth as the five fly in. Two of them holding boxes that are flying directly over Rufus. Just so I know. Yep. So there's one of these like wraiths left. Yep. There's now three evil snails. Bone whelks. Yeah, evil snails. Yep. Uh, and there's five clockwork dragons. Yes. Okay. As they as they all come in behind the reapers, one bone whelk heads directly at each of you. The two dragons with the boxes are over Rufus, two over Char, and one over Safeguard. I felt so cool a second ago, and then there were dragons. The clockwork dragons use their turn to fly overhead of each of you, the two of the boxes delaying their action until Rufus moves. The bone whelks all slither and slime directly at you, opening their maws. Two of them are going to bite down, one on Char, one on Safeguard, and the third one is going to come straight at Rufus and try to climb up the front of Rufus. So first, Rufus, I want you to do a dex check to get out of its way. Okay. That would be a natural 20, making it a 30. Nice. It goes slithering right at you, trying to climb up your front. You get slightly out of the way, keeping yourself still in front of the the portal and the box behind you, as it just goes... Slithering right past Rufus. <laughs> Rufus is probably like picking up his many layers of rolls and is like, oh, oh, gross. Don't touch me. Oh, 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 oh. And let's see. Char, they rolled a 15. No. And Safeguard, they rolled a 20. Dirty 20. Oh, uh, man. Yeah, that hits. That just hits. Eight points of damage. As it bites down on your forearm. I can deal with that. That's that's fine. All right. The clockwork dragons circle over the top of each of you. The two at the boxes over Rufus waiting for him to move. It is Char's turn. You got a giant slug right in front of you. Yeah. So I'm going to reach out, put a hand on the bone of the slug. Where on the slug are you touching? On the bone. The back. like back. One of the bones One on of the its bones. shell? Yeah. It is definitely hot and wet. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's like a the dying embers of a fire kind of color around her hand as she touches this bone. And I need the evil slug, a uh, snail thing to bone make well. the bone thing, uh, make a wisdom saving throw. Wisdom's not its strong suit. It gets a four. It does not succeed. So it is now cursed. The curse I'm giving it is that every time... It starts its turn. It has to make a wisdom saving throw. And if it fails, it wastes its action. And then as a bonus action, I'm going to cast Holy Weapon on my mace. So it just it gives it um, extra radiant damage when I hit. So now we got your weapons all fancy yeah. and we've got the quarterstaff all fancy. Yeah. So you see Char like reach out and touch this piece of bone and that like color seeps out from her hand onto it. But she looks real like worn from doing that. But at the same time, she reaches for her mace and now it is emitting a bright glow. So that's that. All right. Char's done. <laughs> Perfect. All right. It is the remaining Reaper of Ball's turn going directly at Rufus, who is standing between it and the package. It comes in and it's going to attack with two daggers, getting a four and a 14. Neither hit. All right. So it comes in slashing towards 
Rufus and misses both times, going invisible at the last second to try to hide itself. I'm just imagining you doing the cartoon thing of just like your body just kind of wiggles out of the way. Like there's just it's it's perfect. And I love it. Yeah, that's basically Rufus. He's an extremely large man who's unnaturally dexterous. I love it. Rufus. Um, You said he went invisible. It went invisible. Yes. Uh, He's basically to your side. Rufus knows where he's at. You can't hold for me. He says, as he's going to do a couple things. First things first, he was going to make his normal set of attacks, which is two unarmed strikes. Cool. Ooh. Ooh. A 16 and a 10. So 10 does not hit. Okay. And then um, this one would be 17 and 14. 14 does not hit. Okay. So then I'm going to be very angry at this invisible creature. I'm going to spend two key points and I'm going to do something you've not seen Rufus do yet. Um, You watch as he kind of like punches and misses and he brings his hands together and he takes a a very deep breath and he parts his hands and when that happens he actually is able to cast a the single spell that he can do which is a giant searing arc um and he casts burning hands as a bonus action actually anything within my vicinity in a 15 foot cone so that would also be the snail at my feet okay so the so the reaper gets a 14 okay and the bone welt gets a five okay well the five doesn't hit the 14 meets Okay. So, uh, uh, the Reaper still takes half of this, so that would be 12, 17, so half of 17 is 8, and then the Snail takes it all. Uh, the Snail takes, you guys, I just rolled three sixes, that's 18 points of damage on the Snail. Nice. For real, Z, for real, I straight up rolled. Getting hell out of the way. I've never done that before. It's meant to be. And the light, like, it comes out of both the strange tattoo on his forehead and his hands as he, like, hits this, like, martial arts pose at the end, wide-legged in stance. (laughs) Searing light expands from his body. I feel like you and I are, like, Care Bears, but it's our foreheads as opposed to our bellies. (laughs) Yes, and that, the burning, it just lights the bone whelk on fire, and it just, you start to hear this, like, hissing, just, like, high-pitched little whine coming from it as it starts to burn. Safeguard. Uh, I'm, you know, just tried and true. I'm going to smack that bone whelk with my quarterstaff. All right, cool. Go for it. That is a nat 20. Oh, that hits. Crit damage. So that is, ooh, and I got an 8 on a 1d8. So that's doubled, right? And then 16 plus 5 is 21. And then I still have the radiant damage. So that is 26 points of damage. Tell me how you decimate the bone whelk. Safeguard. I, well, I like roll my shoulder that it bit down like a very exaggerated back roll of annoyance. And then I swing at the quarterstaff above my head and I just smash it just straight through its shell. And it cracks with a sickening crack as the shell of bones just shatter apart and you're quarterstaff continues to sink down in its squishy membrane splattering all around you your quarterstaff gets stuck oh no so we'll come back to that on your next turn wait so there's nothing else close to me i get two attacks on my turns oh um there is a clockwork dragon above your head could i reach it from where i am yeah it's about five feet above you okay i'm just gonna 
not worry about my quarterstaff right now and just swing my short sword above my head at the dragon. All right. Roll your attack. Oh, that's a 13. Does not hit. That makes sense because I'm holding a quarterstaff that's like buried in the ground. I just kind of swat above my head. Yep. And it just kind of, it, it easily just kind of floats above the top of your sword. No problem whatsoever. You mean it dodged? But like, why? It's funny. It's as if it doesn't want to be hit with your sword. Things just don't stay still. Strange. And with that, it's the second group of baddies turn. The one bone whelk is cursed. Yes. It has to make a wisdom save. A wisdom save. It makes, it's a seven. No. Nope. The second one is dead. It's carcass holding your quarterstaff. The third one is hurt, but it's over by Rufus. So it's going to try to unleash a nasty bite on Rufus's forearm. Doing. It's a big old forearm. I hope you got big jaws. 15? That's not a hit. Oh, man. So it tries to bite on Rufus's arm and its teeth kind of land and it just doesn't do anything. It's like kind of surprised. It's just like, what? It didn't work? What? And so it just kind of stops there for a second. But with that, the dragons get fed up and they all attack, all five of them. So Char. Great. So Char. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, no. Yikes. So Char, you're, you have two above you. You're going to have two swoop down and try to bite you. Yeah. We'll try. Eight and an 18. Uh, no to the eight. Yes to the 18. Okay. It does nine points of damage. Okay. Safeguard, the one you swung at, is actually going to unleash its fire breath down at you. So it exhales a fire, 15-foot cone of fire down at you. And I need you to make a DC 11 sticks saving throw. That is 14. You make it, so you only take seven points of fire damage. Yikes. Ouch. But that being said, hold on. So the bone whelk is there as well. Oh, they make it somehow. Uh, the bone whelk. I don't know. The bone whelk's dead. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's the bone wrong. Whelk's dead. Never mind. Okay. Yeah. That one doesn't dodge. Yes. So the one dodge, the, the one breathes on you fiery. The two bite down on Char and Rufus. The two dragons that had the boxes in their claws seem to just say, screw it. And they drop the two boxes on top of you. I need you to roll me 2d20. Oh, God. Okay, that's one. That's one. All right, what am I adding? Anything? No, I just need to know what the added two numbers together are. Together, two D20s added together is a 22. 22. As the two boxes flip over onto Rufus's head, one box falls on top of your head, just landing there. The other one clatters to the ground as you are covered with 22 clock roaches. Yeah, I I'm like patting Close. myself down. I'm like freaking out. Yes, the dragons kind of stay up there, and the cockroaches. I'm gonna just do one. No, one that roll. makes me feel icky, David. I feel icky now. That's gross. I guess presumably they'd be less gross. They are metal. Yeah, but Rufus doesn't. Metal. Rufus doesn't really understand the difference between clockwork. That's things true. We and, did establish that. That things. is a very clear character um, trait that was established. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. I apologize. He, he's very confused. He's perfect this and is beautiful. A, no, no, all of you will. But cockroaches. <laughs> So oh, the the group of clockroaches did terrible on their roll, so they don't do any damage, but they do crawl and scurry all over your body. It is Char's turn. Char's not worried about this bone whatever right now because it's cursed. She is, however, going to take a deep breath, calm herself, channel some divinity here, which is going to let her add an extra 1d8 fire damage when she attacks with her mace, which cool. she is then going to attempt 
to do to the dragon that has come down at her. So it's like swoop. The one that bit her then because it's like right there. Yep. She's going to smack it with a mace. Smack it. That is an unnatural 20. That hits. Beautiful. So because this is her holy weapon, it's getting an extra 2d8 radiant as well as the 1d8 fire. 22 points of damage total. Describe how you kill that dragon. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the dragon bites down at her and she rears back and smashes down on its head with her mace. And as it hits, it kind of just explodes in light and just clockwork pieces go like flying around the space. Everybody is bathed in gears and cogs and springs and little mechanical bits and gadget pieces. It's true. And she just kind of turns and locks eyes on the next dragon. But I, I can't attack more than once, so. Perfect. <laughs> it was real good, though. <laughs> but it was cool. <laughs> the remaining Reaper does another attack on Rufus. It gets a five. It does not nope. hit. Rufus is moving around too much with these cockroaches scurrying all over him. He moves out of the way of the Reaper, but the Reaper is now visible. Safeguard, from where you're standing, you can see through the door in the distance something else start to come in your direction. I'm going to I'm going to oh, no. give it. you one picture to describe. Uh, oh no. No, this one's not uh -oh. gross. Uh -oh. This Are one's just sure? intense. Everything else has been gross. No. <laughs> Safeguard, what do you see coming through the busted down door slowly? So I see what I'm assuming is giant, or like larger than normal human size. Well, it's a mechanical creature of some kind that looks like it's basically covered in a really intense suit of armor. But where a head would be is just a spike. And right in its chest, like between its collarbones, is a giant eyeball that doesn't have a lid. So that's gross. And then in its stomach area, it looks like it has a circular gold plate or something there. There's a bright gold light around its stomach that it doesn't have anywhere else. It's just a like dull metal color on the rest of its ridiculous armor. And you look up and you see an inevitable coming your way straight at you, a Marut itself. If you all can hold off the baddies in here for the rest of this round, the box will get through the portal to the other side. Let's do this. Okay. Done. Rufus. Rufus begins taking his clothes off because <laughs> he's got them all up in, in his bits. So he's going to start stripping and smashing roaches. He's freaking out. All right. Just roll me a, just roll me an attack. Just a, a strength attack. That would be a 21. 21? Oh, yeah. So you're going to hit... You're going to hit 21 of the 22 roaches as you do that. Knocking them off. <laughs> pretty like, much breaking them. I imagine there's like one left on my naked back. I'm probably staying yep. down with no clothes. There's one left on my... I can't reach because my arms are too big. You know, I'm like, get off of me! Yep. But in flailing and doing so, you've created a really good barrier right there as the, the portal is still taking the box and it's almost there. But your flailing has really kind of blocked it from anything getting at it. Are you sure that's not my naked, big naked body? I mean, that too. <laughs> Why not both? I think both. Right? It's getting hot. There's a lot going on. Wet in here. <laughs> that's the subtitle of our episode. Apparently. It's hot and wet. Great. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. Safeguard. Uh, okay. So... There's still a dragon above me? There is, and it looks like it's getting ready to dive towards the portal. And that thing that I just saw is not quite through the door yet? It's on its way? It's basically coming in. It's not It's not close enough to attack y'all. Can I see the thing through the door? Can everyone see the thing through the door? Oh, yeah. Okay. 
Absolutely. Is there another dragon within like, oh, I don't know, 30 feet or so, that dragon? Of the one above your head? Yeah. Yes. There's the one above Char's head. Cool. Then I'm going to reach up a hand towards it with my palm up and my forehead and eyes are going to start glowing, the sigil. And I'm going to look at those two dragons and with my other hand point towards that thing that's coming towards us. And I'm going to cast command second level so I can hit both of them and go attack. Okay. Do they have a save? That's a great question. A wisdom? wisdom. All right. They have Let to see what their do a wisdom is. save. Wiz. What are your wiz? Well, the first one got a nat 20. <laughs> Damn. Second one got an 11. Okay. The second one hit. The first one didn't. All right. The second, the one above your head, you command, and it bolts as fast as it can towards the Marut. The second one that's above Char's head stays right there. It is the baddies' turns, and they all turn towards the portal to try to do one last attack on the Modron box that's going through the portal. That would be Rufus as the, the naked shield. Yep. The Bone Welk attempts to get there, and it does not make it. The Reaper Rufus does a 13 hit. Nope, you need a 16. All right. The Reaper can't get past you either. The one dragon that is above Char's head gets a 10. It does not get past Rufus. Uh, the dragon with box number one gets a six. It does not. And the six for the second one. No yes! one gets past naked, sweaty Rufus. As the box, the portal steamer trunk passes through to the ice plane behind you. And the portal winks closed and it leaves a snowy, snowy bit of flakes behind you as the scene in front of you continues to unfold. But the package is safe as the team on the ice side in the ice plane takes over.